Ashley Brock reading Diane Palmer's book. It's up to tame, chapter 7. And I don't like this beginning of this chapter at all. Cappy could almost imagine what sort of story Frank had told Bentley. But now she understood his anger. I can't explain to you again. You told me Friday night that you had an ex-boyfriend. He said icily. I don't get to... I didn't get to hear the rest of the story. But Bartlett was kind enough to fill me in. He accused him of assaulting you and had him arrested. He actually spent time in jail and now he has a felony record because of you. Her eyes went... Yes, but that isn't what happened. I know all about women who like to play with men. You know, when I was in my early 20s, I worked for a veterinarian while I was in college and supplemented my grants and scholarships. He had a vet tech who was very pretty but never got dates. I felt sorry for her. She could only work for him part-time because I had the full-time position. She stayed late one weekend and teased me into kissing her. Then she very calmly tore her shirt, messed up her hair, and phoned the police. Kathy felt her face go pale. She wanted my job. Bentley continued gently. I dipped into my savings. I had a private detective who discovered that it wasn't the first time she pulled that stunt. She was arrested, and my record was cleared. The vet hired me back in a heartbeat and spent years trying to make it up to me. I had no idea she was... Of course not. Or you wouldn't have tried the same stunt on me. She blinked into the... What? You were always talking about what you do if you had money. You knew I was well-to-do. When were you going to accuse me of assaulting you? Have you got a lawyer waiting in the wings to sue me? She couldn't believe her ears. He actually thought she was paying him up for cash. Frank had lied to him, and with his background, Bentley had fallen for the telltale. I've never accused anyone falsely. She defended herself. Only Frank Bartlett. She's fine. He broke my arm, she said with quiet. It wasn't the first time he hit me either. He told me you'd say that. He was like, poor guy. You ruined his life. Well, you aren't going to get the chance to ruin mine. You can work your two weeks at notice. He kept his feet. You're firing me? She asked me. No, you're quitting. You turn that way. You won't be able to let the state support you with unemployment insurance or sue me for unlawful termination of employment. I see. I see. Women, he might have called. You think I'd already learned my lesson? You all look so innocent and you lie. <laughs> hey, open the door. Back to work, Mrs. Drake. He said, It's going to be a long day. She worked mechanically. You even managed to smile at old Mr. J Smith's jokes and Dr. King's bland comments. Keely was looking at her oddly, but nobody else seemed to find her behavior out of the ordinary. At the end of the day, she went to her car almost gratefully. She still couldn't believe that Dr. Ryder would fall for Frank's lies, but she was going to do something about it. She just didn't know what yet. She pulled up in the front yard, puzzled at the colorful cloth pile at the front of her steps. It was kept clean in the house. She slammed on the brakes, cut off the engine, and ran as fast as she could to the front door. That wasn't a bundle of cloth. It was Kel. Kel? He was unconscious, laying beside the wreck of his wheelchair, and he was bleeding from half a dozen cuts. She felt for a pulse, and thank God found one. At least he was still alive. She saw the front door standing open and didn't dare go inside for fear someone might be waiting there. She ran back to her car, jerked out her cell phone, and punched in 911. Then she ran back to Kel and waited. The next hour was a blur of ambulance sirens, police sirens, blue uniforms, sand uniforms, and adjacent object terror. She waited for Dr. Micah Still to come out and tell her what Kel's condition was. She was sick and chilled to the bone. If Kel died, she'd have nobody. He came back out to the waiting room a few minutes after Kel was brought in. Tall and blonde and somber. How is he? She asked. Badly beaten. You don't, which you already know. His back is 
one long bruise. We're still doing tests, but he has some feeling in his legs, which indicates that the sharp metal on his back may have shifted. The tests verify that I'm having him transported to the medical center in San Antonio. I have a friend who's an orthopedic surgeon there. He'll operate. You mean, Gail could walk again? She has exactly smile. He has a smile. But that's not my immediate concern. He said there were three men. One of them was a man you're dealing with. I understand. Frank Burke. Beating up a paralyzed man with a mop. What a brave little worm he is. Sheriff's gotten all boys bullets and out for him and his friends, Michael told. But you're in danger until they're found. You can't stay out there at the house by yourself. If you think Kel to San Antonio, he said, I'll call a friend who works for the same veterinarian practice that employed me until I moved here. She'll let me stay with her. You'll have to be in protective custody, Michael said firmly. She smiled. Her brother is a Texas Ranger. He lives with her. Well, I'll call her as soon as I can see Kel. That will be another 20 minutes, he said. We have to finish the test first, but he's going to be fine. Okay, thanks, Dr. Steele. He's well, I'm glad I can help. I like Kel. I do, too. She's from Brenda Banks in San Antonio. Brenda's brother, Coulter, was a Texas Ranger. He'd been based out of Houston until his best friend, Houston police officer named Mike Jones, was killed trying to stop a bank robbery. Coulter had asked for a reassignment to Company D of the Texas Rangers based in Baxter County and moved in with his sister. Since Company D now had an official cold case, Sergeant Coulter applied for and, ob for and obtained a job. Brenda State said he loved solving old cases. She tried the apartment first, and sure enough, Brenda was at home and not at work. How do you like your new job? Brenda asked when she heard Cappy's voice. I like it a lot. Do you still have a spare bedroom and... Is there a job opening there at the vet clinic? Oh, dear. Yes, well, things didn't work out as well as I hoped, Cappy said. Frank and a couple of friends came down and almost beat Kel to death. He's on his way up to San Antonio for back surgery, and I need the place to stay just until after the surgery. They wanted me in protective custody, but I told them Colt to live with you. You poor kid. You can come and stay as long as you like, Brenda said one. But Coulter's out of the country on a case. He has an apartment of his own now. What's that about, Coach? He goes, really, is he going to be all right? He's just banged up mostly, Cappy said. But the sharp knot on his back has shifted, and he has feelings in his legs. So they might be able to operate. What a blessing in disguise, the other woman said quietly. Well, what about you? Don't tell me Frank went to your house just to beat up your brother. He was probably looking for me, she confessed, but he already done enough damage to my working relationship with my new boss. I don't have a job anymore, either. Oh, I asked Dr. Lamaris about something part-time, she said immediately. I'd really love to have you back. The new text doesn't have the dictation, dedication to the job that you had and doesn't show up for work half the time, either. I'll phone her right now. Meanwhile, you come up... Come on up here. You know where the spare keys kept. Thanks a million, Brenda. Her voice was breaking despite her efforts. Honey, I'm so sorry, Brenda said gently. There's anything I can do, anything at all. You just tell me. Cabby's I've missed you. I've missed you too. Just hang on. Get Cal up here and then come up yourself. We'll handle it, okay? Okay. I'll phone Dr. Lamar's right now. She hung up. Cabby went back to the waiting room and sat. Sat in somber while she waited for the test results and a chance to talk to Cal. Dr. Sill was smiling when he came back. I think it's operable, he said. I want to send Kel to San Antonio by chopper. It's quicker, and it will be easier on his back. We don't want that sharp metal shift again. You can see him just for a minute. Want to fly up with him? Yes, if I can, she said. He nodded toward Kel's room. Cash Grier's in there with him. He wants a word with you, too. Okay, thanks, Dr. Steele. She opened the door and walked in. Cash Grier was leaning against the window sill, very somber. Kel looked terrible, but he smiled when she bent over to kiss him. Dr. Steele thinks they may be able to operate. <laughs> So, so I heard, he's mine. I don't know how I'll afford it, but maybe they take IOUs. 
You get better before you worry about money, she said, but we can always sell the car. Sure. That will pay for my aspirin. Kelp chuckled. Stop that. It's going to work out. She said from Hi, Chief. She greeted Hi, yourself. Your ex-boyfriend was after you. He said with Primo. He won't quit. He knows you'll go back to... He knows you'll go back to jail for what he did to Kel. He'll get you if he can. Before we catch him. I'm going to fly up to San Antonio with Kel. She said slowly. I'll be staying with my best friend. Her brother's a Texas Ranger. She didn't add the fact that he was out of town. After all, Cash wouldn't know, but would she be putting Brenda in danger just by being there? Coulter's out of the country, and Brenda doesn't own a weapon. Cash said, stone face. He nodded when she asked, I know Coulter. I used to be a Texas Ranger, too. We've kept in touch. You don't want to put Brenda in the line of fire. I was just worried about that. <laughs> then what do we do? You stay in a hotel near the hospital, we said. We're sending security up to watch you. Police officers from where's one? Not, not really. Actually, Ab Scott is detailing two of his men to stay with you. One is just back from the Middle East, and the other is waiting for an assignment. Mercenary? She said so. Exactly. She looked burned. They're not the sort you see in movies. They're guy, these guys have morals, and they only work for good causes, not just for money. Do you know the men? She asked him. He hesitated. I know them, Cash said once, and you can trust them. They'll take care of you. Just go with Kel to the hospital, and they'll meet you there. He found. I'll have to phone somebody at my office to tell them what's happened. Everybody at your office already knows what happened, Cash said. Well, except your boss. He had it just when he heard that skip to beats. He had to fly to Denver on some sort of personal business. Something to do with his stepfather. Oh. It was just as well, she thought. Now she wouldn't have to see him again. Kel didn't know Dr. Harold fired her, but this wasn't really the time to tell him they could wait. What about our house? Kel gave me the key, he said. I'll get it to Keeley. She'll make sure the lights are off and everything's locked up and the fridge is cleaned out. I don't want to live there anymore, she told Kel in a subdued tone. We don't have to make decisions right now, he replied once he knows. Oh, I think it was better when I couldn't feel my legs. You're You'll enjoy walking again, Cappy said gently. Cow, it would be like a miracle. At least some good would have come out of this. This is what I was thinking, he smiled. Now don't worry, it's just gonna, it's gonna work out. Yes, it is, Cassidy. Rick Marquez is gonna make sure every cop in San Antonio has a personal description of Frank Bartlett. And he's talked to a reporter he knows at one of the news stations. Your nemesis Frank is gonna be so famous that if he walks into a convenience store, ten people are gonna tackle him and yell for the police. Really? But why? Did I mention that there's a reward for his capture, Cash? We took up a little collection. How kind! <laughs> you should stay here, Cash is here. It's a good town, good people. Her face goes, I'm not living in a town that also houses Dr. Rydell. Cash and Kel exchange. But Cal might like to stay? She had a Cal wonder what was going on. Cap had been crazy about her boss and something. I think we need to have a talk about why you're down on your boss, he told her. Tomorrow, she said, first thing. I'll probably be in surgery tomorrow, first thing. Kel replied, smiling. Then I'll tell you why you're unconscious. When do we leave? She added. Kel wanted to argue, but they'd given him something for pain, and he was already trying. As soon as the helicopter gets here, need anything from the house. I'm sure Cash will run you over there. She figured out. I've got my purse and my phone. Oh, here's the house key. She added, pulling it out of her camera and handed it to Cash. I know you gave Kel's keely, but you may need mine. Thanks a lot. If you need anything, you can call Keeley. She'll run it up to you, or her husband, or her sister-in-law will. I'll do that. And try not to worry. Cash out of moving away from her. 
Things always seem darkest before the dawn, believe me. I should know. Yet it was my... Seen my share of darkness. You're wonderful police chiefs, he told him. Another good reason to stay in Jacobs County, he advised. We can argue, we can agree to disagree on that point, she replied. I might reconsider if you'd like Dr. Rattle up and throw away the key. Can't do that. He's the best veterinarian around. I guess he is at that. Cash wisely didn't add to his former statement. Tripped in the helicopter was fascinating to Cappy, who'd never flown in one despite Kel's years in the military. She had the opportunity, but she was afraid of the machines. Now, knowing that it was hoping to save Kel's le legs, she changed her opinion of them. She sat quietly in her seat, smiling at the med techs, but not talking to them. She had just about all she could stand of men, she decided, for at least the next twenty years. She only hoped and prayed that Kel would be able to walk again, that somebody would find Frank Bartlett before he came back to finish what he started. Bentley Rado walked into his office three days later, out of sorts, and even more irritable than he'd been when he left. His stepfather had suffered a stroke, hadn't killed him, but he was temporarily paralyzed on one side and in a nursing home for the foreseeable future. Bentley had tracked down the man's younger brother and made arrangements to fly him to Denver to look after his sibling. All that had taken time, he didn't begrudge giving help, but he was still upset about Cappy. Why had he been stupid enough to get involved with her? Hadn't he learned his lesson about women by now? The office hadn't officially opened for hours. It was ten minutes until it did. He found every employee in the police standing behind the counter glaring at him as if he invented disease. His eyebrows were, what's going on? His face went, Cappy sued me for asking her to quit, is she? He asked with a cold sarcasm. Dr. King glared at him. Cappy's in San Antonio with her brother. She said, her ex-boyfriend and two of his friends be killed within an inch of his life. His face felt the blood drain out of his face. What? They've got Cappy surrounded by police and volunteers trying to keep the same thing from happening to her. Keely added curly. Sheriff Carson checked into Frank Bartlett's background, found seven priors for battery against women, but nobody was willing to press charges until Cappy did. She wasn't exactly willing at that. Her brother forced her to when she got out of the hospital. Bartlett beat her bloody and broke her arm. She said that she'd probably be dead if Cal hadn't managed to knock out Bartlett in time. He felt as if his throat had been cut. Believe that man. How could he have done that to Cappy? How could he have suspected her of such deceit? She'd been the victim. Bentley had believed the lion ex-boyfriend and fired Cappy. Now she was in danger and it was his fault. Where is she? He asked Emily. She told us not to tell you, Dr. Sinclair said quietly. She does want to see you again. In fact, she's got her old job back in San Antonio and she's going to live there. He felt sick all over. No, she wouldn't want to stay in Jacobs County now. Not after the job Bentley had done on her self-esteem. It had probably been hard for her to trust a man again. Having been physically assaulted, she trusted Bentley. She's been kind of sweet and trusting. He kicked her in the teeth. He didn't answer Dr. King. He looked at his well. Get to work, people, he said in a subdued tone. Nobody answered him. They went to work. He went into his office, closed the door, and picked up the phone. Yes, Cash. Side parked answered. Where's Gappy? He said quietly. If I tell you, I'll have to change my name and move to a foreign country. Cy so replied dryly. Tell me anyway, I'll buy you a fake mustache. Cy so chuckled. Okay, but you can't tell her I sold you out. Fair enough. Cappy was worn out. She'd been in the waiting room around the clock until Cal was through surgery. And it had taken a long time. The chairs must have been selected for their comfort level. She decided to make sure nobody wanted to stay in them longer than a few minutes. It was impossible to sleep in one or even to doze. Her back was killing her. She needed sleep, but she couldn't leave the hospital until she knew Kel was out of the recovery room. 
beside her, two tall, somber men sat waiting also. One of them was dark-eyed dark and dark-headed, and he never seemed to smile. The other one had long blonde hair and a ponytail and one pale brown eye and an eye patch on the other. He was good-natured about his disability and referred to himself as Deadeye. He chuckled as he said it. She didn't know their names. Detective Sergeant Rick Marquis had dropped by earlier in the day to talk to her about Frank Bartlett's family and friends. She didn't know about Frank's sister, but she hadn't met any of his friends. Detective Marquis was, she thought, really good-looking. She wondered why he didn't have a steady girlfriend. Marquis had assured her that he was doing everything possible to track down Frank Bartlett and that a friend of his, who was a news anchor, was going to broadcast a description of Bartlett and ask for help from the public to apprehend him. There was a $2,000 reward being offered for information leading to his arrest and conviction. Brenda came with her to the hospital and stayed until she was called into her own office for an emergency surgery on a dog patient. She promised to return as soon as she could. She was upset that Cappy wasn't going to stay with her. She could borrow a gun, she muttered, and shoot the two-legged snake if he came near the apartment. But Cappy smiled and said she hadn't been thinking straight when she called and asked for a place to stay. She wasn't risking Brenda. Besides, she had security. Brenda gave the two men a long curious glance. She did mention that she wouldn't want to mess with them. If she was a bad man, the one with the ponytail grinned at her. After Brenda left, Cappy sat with her two somber male attachments while people came and went in the waiting room. She drank endless cups of black coffee and tried not to dwell on her fears. Kel could just walk again, she told herself. The misery of the past few days would be worth it, if only. Finally, the surgeon on Kel's case came out to speak with her, smiling in his surgical greens. We removed the sharp mail, he told him. I'm confident that we got it all. Now we wait for results once your brother has time to heal, but I'm cautiously optimistic that he'll walk again. Oh, thank God. She breathed, giving away the tears. Thank God. Now, will you please go and get some sleep? Yes, you look like death walking. I'll do that. Thank you, Dr. Sims. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Leave yourself a number at the nurse's desk, and they'll phone you if they need you. I'll do that right now. She went to the nurse's desk with her two companions, flicking, flanking her and looking all around them completely. I'm Kel Drake's sister. She told me, I want to give you my cell phone number in case you need to get in touch with me. Certainly, a little brunette replied smiling. She pulled out a pad over her own and held up a pen pose over it. Go ahead. Cappy gave the number to her. I'll always have it with me and I won't turn it off. The brunette looked from one maid to the other. They're with me, Cappy told her. She leaned over the counter. You see, they're in terrible danger and I have to protect them. The two maids gave her a simultaneous glare that could have stopped traffic. The brunette managed to smother a giggle. Okay, guys, I'm ready whenever you are, she told him, the one with the eye patch presses. What's a head start? He asked pointedly. She grinned up at him. You want one? She countered. He chuckled, indicated that she could go first. He turned and winked at the little brunette who flushed with pleasure. He was whistling as he followed Cappy out to the wing. You protect us, the other man said. From what? Bug bites. Keep that up, Cappy told him, and I'll show you a bite. Now, now, let's try to get along, Deadeye murmured. So they waited for the elevator to come up. I'm getting along. She's the one with the attitude problem, the other man muttered. Says you, Cappy told him. He stared at Deadeye and pointed at Cappy. I never take sides in family squabbles, Deadeye told her. She's not a member of my family, the other man said. A likely story, Dad, I said. Anyway, how can you be sure? Have you had your DNA compared to hers? I know I'm not related to you, the man told Dad, I. How do you know that, came the driver to her. Because you're too ugly to be any kin of mine. Well, I never, Dad, I hope. Look who's calling who ugly. 
Your mother dresses you funny, too. Cappy was already lightheaded with relief. These two were setting off for a quirky sense of humor. I can't take the two of you anywhere, she complained. You embarrass me to tears. Can I help it if he's ugly? The second man said. I was only stating a fact. He's not ugly, Cappy defended Dead Eye. He's just unique. Dead Eye grinned at her. We can get married first thing in the morning, he said. I've been keeping a wedding ring in my chest of drawers for just such an emergency. Cappy shook her. Sorry, I can't marry you tomorrow. One heart. My brother won't let me date ugly men. You just said I wasn't ugly, he protested. I lied. I can have my nose fixed. She frowned. It was a nice nose. I can alter it for you with my fist, the other man volunteered. I can alter you first, and I informed him. No fighting, Cappy protested. We'll all end up in jail. Some of us have probably escaped from one recently. The other man said with a pointed look at Dead Eye. I didn't have to escape. They let me out on account of my extreme good looks, Dead Eye scoped. Your looks are extreme, came up. just not good. If you don't... If you two don't stop arguing, I'm going to have my best friend come over to spend the night with us, and you two will be sharing the sofa, she assured them. Just shake me now, that I'm on, and be done with it. I'm not sharing anything with him, not unless he got proof he isn't rabid. The elevator door opened while they were arguing. Dr. Brindley Riles stepped out, and he stared at the younger man while Cappy gaped at his sudden appearance. He isn't rabid. Been in his shirt, dead eye. And how would you know, dead eye asked. I'm a veterinarian, but replied courtly. We should go, Cappy said aboard Bentley's eye. Wait, yes, Cappy. These are my two new boyfriends, Cappy told him with a close mind. We're sharing a room. He knew that she wasn't involved with two strangers. He had a pretty good idea of who they were and why she was with them. She probably expected him to believe them, though, statement with his track record. I heard about Kel, he said quietly. How is he? Out of surgery and resting comfortably. Thank you, she said out for me. We have to go. Can we talk? Bentley asked somebody. If you can get them, she indicated her companions, to tie me up and gag me, sure. Let's go, guys. She walked into the elevator and stood with her back to the door until she heard it close. End of chapter 7.